Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 7th of September, 2021. I'm Hilton Real Gerald Quinn, uh, taking you for the next hour and some change. Probably a little longer than that because we have a special guest, of course, to talk about uh, the late and great Michael uh, K. Williams. Of course, this is seven eight three seven episode seven eighty three seven eight three of the Real Deal podcast. We're getting closer and closer to eight hundred. Ken's definitely excited about that. Hope everybody out there enjoyed their Labor Day weekend. A lot going on. A busy weekend. A turns out to be a tragic weekend in the world of entertainment. Not only with Michael K. Williams, but also a couple of uh, comedians um, who died out in um, out in California. Uh, just again, another tragedy uh, uh, in regards to drug overdoses, a drug overdose. Um, so it was, you know, very busy weekend in the world of sports and pop culture. We're going to begin with the college football. Uh, this last year, let me be honest with you, I was not on the college football to the level that I had been been on prior, you know, in previous years growing up uh, because of the pandemic. No fans. I just wasn't into it. Now, again, I would watch the main games, but I wasn't fully committed to it. This Saturday, this weekend, I was all in. I was uh, from from Thursday to from Friday, you know, from the entire weekend. Uh, I watched all just about all the main games. It was a great weekend, most part of college football. The more things changed, the more things stayed the same. Alabama is Alabama, you know. We're going to talk certainly about the wire later on in this program, but you know, still, you know, there's still a line from one D'Angelo Barksdale in season one, episode five, or episode three, that during the, the chess scene, the king stayed a king. And Alabama is Alabama always and forever. It doesn't matter if they change the offensive line, the quarterback, um, assisting, uh, Assistant offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, it doesn't matter. They are who they are. As long as Nick Saban is the head coach of Alabama, Alabama is going to be at the top of the college football heap. They went in there, embarrassed Miami, and I mean embarrassed them, and probably played, you know, they played well. I, I can't say they played their, their, their B-minus game. They played, they played an A game, uh, a B-plus A game, but they 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 toyed in Miami. I mean, they absolutely toy with them. They have a quarterback who is going to be in the running for the Heisman Trophy, uh, without question, they have pros up and down the board in terms of the receivers. Their defense is is is, is as dominant as ever, and they're just in a, they're, they are in a different league right now in terms of college football. I've, they um, by far look like the best team in college football. Um, so it, again, more things change, the more they stay the same. You expect Alabama to be playing, again, in the college football playoff and, and more than likely for a national championship. And, again, it's only week one, but I just – I think you know, unless they have a catastrophic injuries to the quarterback and a number of other injuries, I don't see there's any way that Alabama is not standing um, on top at the end uh, once again. Um, Georgia's defense was as dominant as you can possibly be in a game against – another top uh, top five team in Clemson. I haven't seen a team make Clemson look that bad on the offensive end in a long time. Uh, they completely took Clemson's offense apart. Holding, You know, you hold Clemson to three points, three points um, in a game, in which is virtually, I know it was a neutral site, but Charlotte 
is certainly uh, much closer to Charlotte is much closer to, to the Clemson campus than it is than it is to Athens, Georgia, uh, without question. So that was a big time performance um, that Georgia had on primetime. Now again, I'm not going to go crazy about the offense. They they will improve offensively, um, but that defense is one. Uh, that defense is right there with Alabama as being probably the two top defenses in all of college football. And I'm already. They won't play in the regular season, but that they we Alabama and Georgia will be on the collision course all season long to meet in the SEC championship. And they've played some great games in the past couple of years, won in the national championship, won in the SEC championship. You know, could this be finally the year Georgia gets over the hump? They've been due. They've been knocking at the door for the past four or five years. They have top recruits, just like Alabama, just like some of these other top five programs in the country. They they get the best of the best as well. Uh so that defense was dominant. I mean they Clemson could not couldn't block out. They could not block Georgia. They the offensive line, they destroyed Clemson's defensive line offensive line. I mean destroyed them. Uh lived in the backfield. And again, Georgia has athletes all over the field. The linebackers, the defensive ends, the the you know the secondary, they have players, they have defenders, all Americans all over the place on that with that defense. So that was a big time performance by Georgia. Um big time performance by Georgia on a on a neutral site. So you had those two teams, you know, standing heads and shoulders above everybody else. Uh Penn State had a very good win against Wisconsin on the road in a tough place to play. So give them credit. LSU um and again we might be overreacting a little bit, but LSU Knocked off by UCLA. Uh, UCLA uh, is could be uh, is definitely looks to be much improved. There have been some whispers, and I mean whispers about Ed Ogeron's future at LSU, which I don't particularly understand, considering you know two years ago they were in a uh, won a national championship. So, and LSU is not a program. It's a great program, a historic program, but it is not a program that lives on this championship of bus. Mentality. That's there's only there's only one program that's operating like that. Maybe Clemson, but that, that's out and that's Alabama. That's it. It's the only program that's operating on championship of bus. No other program uh, is operating at that level. None of them. So let, let's let's calm down if you're an LSU fan, and let's calm down certainly for all the Clemson people out there who say this might be the beginning of a downfall for Clemson. I mean, they they lost to a team in Georgia that could win a that could have a, has a chance to win a, a national championship on a neutral site. It wasn't you know on a neutral site. It wasn't at home. They didn't get embarrassed. It was, and that was again Clemson's defense is a top defense as well. Uh Georgia only had Georgia only scored three points in that game. They had a pick six with a touchdown and kicked the field goal. That's it. So give Clemson's defense some credit uh in that particular game. Uh you saw some blue buds struggling to say the least. Oklahoma, Notre Dame and Ohio State all all just just barely got by. Um Notre Dame let me tell you, you, if there's any such thing as an unimpressive loss win that felt like a loss, it was that Notre Dame-Florida State game. Of course, everybody knows I'm a Florida State fan. I had zero to no expectations in coming into that game. I thought Notre Dame would smoke them. And it was a game that easily Florida State could have won. And by the way, Florida State did not play well in that game. They had three turnovers that were costly turnovers. They had nine penalties. They really don't have a quarterback. The, the fact that they came back from 38 to 20 to tie the game and force the overtime just shows it tells you what you tells you a, a lot about where Notre Dame is maybe at maybe at right now and maybe at this year. 
that this this is probably not going to be a playoff team because again, Florida State is not any good. I trust me, I I'm a Florida, I follow Florida State. The talent level of Florida State is not there right now. They have they have some speed in a few spots, um, but defensively, you know, they're a sieve defensively. Offensive the offensive line can't block. Like I said, they don't have a quarterback, and they play stupid on top of that. They play dumb football. Not very well coached, I, I might add. They're not very well coached at all, to be honest with you. So, again, it, it to me, the it, it's an indictment on Notre Dame, the fact that Florida State was even in that game. Like Florida State had no business in that game. was none whatsoever. But they were right there. Um right there and had and you know easily could have won that game. So, you know, it again, good week, good opening week, week one, I should say. Last week was week, you know, week zero, but good. This was the real first opening week of the college football season. Mississippi had their way last night against LSU, excuse me, against Louisville, which certainly was no surprise. It, how about the Mississippi uniforms? Do they not have the best uniforms? Those are the best uniforms in college football right now. They kind of got that Carolina blue, but you know, with the red trim. Those, those uniforms, those some, those are some fire uniforms to say the least. I mean, that that was the, the best thing about that game was the Mississippi uniforms. Um, so I Mississippi did what you know what you expect them to do against an overmatched uh, Louisville team. So good opening week of the college football season. Again, more things change the more they stay the same. Alabama is Alabama. We will see if Ohio, if the struggles of Ohio State and Oklahoma carry on throughout the season, um, and Clemson. I shouldn't even. I'm not even going to include Clemson in that conversation because Clemson played played another top team, but Oklahoma and Ohio State struggling against teams that they probably should have just destroyed. Whether you know Fresno State and 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 um, I forgot Oklahoma played. Uh, I think Tulane. Uh, yeah, I think it was Tulane. So we'll see. Again, week one, similar to the NFL. I don't like to go too crazy in terms of overreacting to a performance, either either great or not so good. But normally, you know, those blue bloods like Oklahoma, Ohio State, which has been perennial top five teams the last decade, really normally roll, roll through teams that are non-ranked teams in the opening week, in the uh, opening week uh, of the season. So we have some NFL uh, COVID news. Um, so the NFL, we, we know the NFL has had a strict policy in regards to their COVID and vaccination and versus non-vax players. We know they're putting the heat and putting the pressure on unvaccinated players to be vaccinated and making it as uncomfortable as possible on the non, excuse me, the unvaccinated players. So vaccinated players, as of right now, vaccinated players, Get tested every two weeks. Unvaccinated, good players get tested daily. And this has caused a bit of ruckus within the NFL Players Association because you had, despite the fact that, um, and you can see here on the screen, despite the fact that Tennessee had basically 97% vaccination, four, there were 14 positive tests that came out uh, for ten, for. Uh, within that locker room or within that complex. Here, here's the thing. The NFL players, and the NFL players basically, the NFL Players Association basically wants everybody to be, everybody to be tested daily. So, and here's the thing about it. It doesn't matter whether you're vaxxed or unvaxxed. 
anybody can pass this virus. I saw something the other day where, you know, and again, you don't know which studies to trust and what have you, but this came from a pretty good study that said that the person, if you contract, if a vaccinated person contracts COVID, they can spread it to, I mean, upwards to, uh, to eight people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So we've seen over the, during the course, even people who are vaccinated, they will, one thing, they will contract COVID, one, and two, they will spread it. Now, being vaccinated, again, lessens the chances of the COVID being severe and also, you know, decreases the chances that it could be that you could die or, or end up on a, a ventilator. We, I, we understand that. But it is, it does not, it seemingly has not, does not lessen the chance that you can catch it and spread it. That is happening amongst vaccinated and unvaccinated people, not just players, but people in general. Okay. So, you know, I, 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 I think that if the NFL wants the season to, to go on basically somewhat unscathed and doesn't want to not, not so much lose games, but have game, have situations where teams have to forfeit games and it become a, a complete shit show. Just te- just test everybody daily. I mean, let, let's keep it. I mean, just just test everybody daily and, and keep it moving. Like, I like, and I, and I don't want to hear about. I, I don't want to hear from players who are vaccinated who think that they are one invincible or, or two just shouldn't be tested. I don't want to hear from you because the bottom line is, you know, a lot of people. There are a lot of vaccinated people that are spreading the virus right now. They are vaccinated. This is not. This is not me being. Anti-vax and uh, anti-vaxxer. I got vaccinated. I took the first dose. I already took the first dose. I'll, I'll take the second dose uh, this at the end of the week. So this is this is coming from a person who's who's going to be completely vaccinated soon. This is not an anti-vaccine message. Let me make that clear. But the bottom line is, you know, just have everybody get tested. I think it's a pretty simple concept. I don't get this, you know. It's a form of it is a form of vac shaming, but I don't get this disconnect with the vaccine and unvaccine in terms of everybody in terms of in, in where everybody should not be tested. I don't I don't understand that everybody should be tested, period. Whether you're vax or unvax, I, I don't get that concept of you. If you're somebody who's vax, you don't feel like you should be tested. Like it just it makes it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not uncomfortable to get tested. They're not going with the swab all the way up that, that touches your brain. It's, it's a little swab, a, a little a gentle little uh, rub of the nose, inside the nose, and that's it. It takes all about 30 seconds. It doesn't take long. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Again, if you're in the NFL, and again, it makes more sense if you're trying to, if you're really trying to prevent COVID, break, COVID from breaking out and just destroying your season, or having any impact on your season, it makes sense to test everybody daily. Uh, that that will lessen the chance chances or of uh, people of, of there being any major. So we'll see what the NFL does. Um, the NFL seems to be hell bent on just making it completely uncomfortable for just the unvaxxed, for the un, uh, the unvaxxed players. Um, 
You know, and it's almost like you're, you're cutting your nose to spite your face from that standpoint. So we had the, uh, the Drake album drop on Friday, 2 a.m. on Friday, uh, Certified Lover Boy. Then you had a, then you had Drake leak a single that didn't make Kanye's album that featured three stacks, Andre 3000, and also uh, the late DMX, uh, a clip from when he was on a uh, roller coaster ride with his with his daughter, and you know comfort her as she was scared to ride. Which and we'll talk about that. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. So. I think people are asking the wrong questions when it comes to the Drake versus the uh, Kanye album. Let me deal with the Drake album first. All right, because I believe I already told you um, what I thought about the Kanye album in the previous uh, podcast. So I'll, I'll go into the Drake album. The Drake album is a mediocre album because coming into this album, we know Drake has had probably more hits is going to end up having more hits than any artist, any rapper in the history of the, uh, of, in the, in the history of the industry, in hip hop history, period. It's going to have more hits. Whether you love my hate that's undeniable, but he has no classic albums. And it's kind of like, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen an artist have that many hits with no classic albums in any form of music, to be honest with you, honest with you let alone hip hop. Ghostface has two classics. Think about that for a second. And no one would put Ghostface in a conversation all the time with Drake from a standpoint of impact. And when we make out these lists of top and greatest MCs of all time, Ghostface is one of my personal favorite one. I think my personal top 15. But I, I can't put him ahead of Drake if I combine everything, impact, number of hits, being on top of the game, and all and all those uh, variables that goes into, goes into making these lists. But the bottom line is Drake has not had a classic album. I expected Drake just to be either a classic or close to a classic. I really did. I had high expectations. And I, I don't, and looking back on it, I was just stupid because Drake has found a way to manipulate the system in regards to he know he's James Harden. He knows how to get numbers. He is going to appease to, to the women. Women love Drake. He's going to always sell. It doesn't matter what he puts out. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter. He's going to get numbers. This this album, you know, Kanye's album was number one, so three hundred nine thousand copies, number one as far as when it, when it stream all time streams on app on iTunes and Spotify. Drake shattered that record, broke that record his first day out, and this time next week he will have the number one album in the country. And I guarantee you, if Kanye did three hundred thousand units. Drake will do probably four to 500,000, I promise you. But we knew that already. I told you that on the last podcast that Drake would outsell Kanye and, and, and put up bigger numbers. But, but the album, but the quality of the album is just not there. It really is not. They're, they're about, and I'm, I'm going to look at the track list right now. Um, they're only about four or five tracks that I personally will, will re-listen to. Um, and we're talking about, you know, we're talking about uh, Champagne Poetry, which is a classic song, and really got your hopes up high. Yeah, when he came out with that, I'm like, whoa, this is going to be, this going to be, it could be in a conversation for album of the year. 
I mean, he, that it was a big letdown following that. But champagne, you know, champagne poetry, okay. Um, you know, no friends in the industry. Seven a.m. on the on the on the brittle path. That's about it. Or you you only live twice. That's it. That's four tracks that I, that I probably will, can re-listen to. And I and I'm it's a stretch to say. Um, I feel like I'm being kind, throwing in uh, no friends in the industry. I might be I might be kind throwing at it. It really might really might only be three tracks uh, from Drake's album that I consider re-listenable, and that I can that I can bump over and over again. That's it. Out of twenty out of twenty one tracks, it is a mediocre album. is It's a major letdown, but ultimately Drake's going to get numbers. And history is going to look at this album as, as as this great album, which is unfortunate from a standpoint, because I think we've gotten to a place with content, especially in music and content. I can even go across the board in sports talk and in, in, in the film industry. We we've really we're at a dangerous place um, in terms of we celebrate mediocrity. We not only tolerate mediocrity, we celebrate it. So I, I don't like it myself, but it is what it is. Um, if I had to choose between the albums, it clearly to me, it, it Donda is, is a much better album than the Certified Lover Boy. I don't even think it's a, a competition. Like I can listen to, there are about eight to 10 tracks that are that I can rock with over and over again on Donda. Now, there are too many songs. Uh, 27 songs is way too much, too many songs. But in terms of quality, the, the quality of the music is not, I don't think it's a comparison, to be perfectly honest with you. But again, that's not the conversation that we should be having. We should not be comparing Drake with Kanye at this stage of their careers. Kanye has, has legitimately four classics. Four. Drake has none. Kanye is a at this point a cultural icon. He's a billionaire. We know right now Drake is a better rapper than Kanye. We know we understand right now Drake is at the top of the game as far as popularity, being the biggest artist in in the world uh, from a hip hop standpoint. You shouldn't even be comparing Drake with Kanye from music from a music standpoint. We should be comparing Drake with legends, Drake with legacy, Drake with Kendrick's of the world. He's not a he, and he does not compare to any to Kendrick Lamar. He doesn't compare to any of the legends that we put him up with as far as all time grace. He's not on a Mount Rushmore. He cannot be on a Mount Rushmore with no classics. He does not have a classic. Kendrick Lamar has three indisputable classics: Pimp a Butterfly, um, Good Kid, Mad City, and Damn are three indisputable classics. It's not even debatable. So again, any again, again for the for the twenty five hundred generation, we can't even have a conversation because you just haven't been on the earth long enough to you know to recognize the the type of music that I'm talking about when it comes to uh, Nas, when it comes to uh, Rakim, a uh, uh, Biggie thing, artists of that nation. But there's a crowd, even thirty five and above, who actually believe Drake is is an all time great just based on numbers and strictly popularity. And that's where we're at. It's the age of a, we, we, we feed into a, a artists and we consume, art, consume artists who, who garner attention. 
Again, Drake is a man. Again, here's what Drake is a genius at. His rollout, his rollout was genius. The getting a haircut with with the with the heart, ingenious. Drake, who's ever doing Drake's branding and marketing, he has the best in the uh, the best of the best without question, without question. And the production of the album is very good as well. I gotta give you credit for the production standpoint. I can't knock that. That's a part of the album. His production was tight, but um, the overall quality of the album is mediocre, and it will be celebrated as a great album. But it's not even. It don't even, it's not, forget about, it, it's not even a conversation. Neither one, even Donda is not in the conversation for album of the year. Neither one of those albums are, should be in a conversation for album of the year. But uh, I was disappointed by Drake's album. Again, I couldn't, the two albums, I had two separate levels of expectation. But Donda, I had zero expectation for, for Kanye's album, none. I didn't, I didn't care if it came out, if it came out cool, if it doesn't, it, 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 if it doesn't come out, fine. I had zero, I had no expectations for Donda at all. None. Drake's album, I actually had classic or a notch below or, or, or close to a classic. I really did. I was really, I was really anticipating and looking forward to the Drake, this Drake album. But, you know, it is what it is. Drake is who he is. Megan, um, I don't want to hear about him being in a conversation with uh, these Mount Rushmore um, rappers. As far as the Kanye three stacks um, song that probably should that should have been on the album, that 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 song is about two minutes too long, and Kanye West found a way to to, to just fuck up the song. First of all, the DMX stuff and rest in peace to DMX. It, we didn't need that on that song. That stuff should never been the DMX clip with his daughter should not have been on that song. It had no place whatsoever in that song. No place. So that's that's that, that's you could eliminate two minutes right off the bat. It's the, the album starts out pure fire. It's three stacks we know is you know is lethal, lethal. I mean, I, I wish he would have came out with more music individually and more albums. To be honest with you, because he we know three stacks is three stacks is the absolute true. And Kanye up until the point to where Kanye. Kanye, only Kanye can do this. You know, Kanye goes out there, talks about Drake, gives you that little story, fine, cool, flow with it. I'm, I'm all four hours with it. But then, you know, he wants to start to sing, you know, get off our knees, we can all be free. And it, like, come on, Kanye, like, let's, like, stop, like, stop. And then, then he goes to the, the one the minute and 30, last 90 seconds with the DMX clip with his daughter, like, come on, do you? It's just like he found he found a way to fuck up a classic. That song, that song should have been a classic song. It should have been one of the best songs of the year. It had that type of potential. Kanye found a way to fuck it up, and you know it's a re-listenable song. The first four minutes, but that last, the first four and a half minutes, but that last minute and thirty, nah, you can you can keep that. Uh, yeah, you can keep that last ninety seconds. To be honest with you, um, so you know there you go with that. Overall, again, the big thing though is the fact that we should not have to be having a discussion of Drake versus Kanye. It is Drake versus legacy? Is Drake versus history? If you want to say so, even though we know who's better, is Drake versus Kendrick? If you if you want to compare those contemporaries, but it's not Drake versus Kanye. That conversation is it's not even a conversation. 
they had two different stages of their careers. And to be honest with you, we want to put together, we, we really want to have that conversation and compare their careers. Kanye has, again, Kanye has four classics, period. Drake has zero. It's just, I mean, it's just that simple. Like, like I don't know how else, how else to say it, but um, I, I think that we will be, won't, it certainly will not be the last uh, we, of what we hear from the, uh, from Kanye versus Drake. Um, again, I, I, I like Kanye's album. For the most, again, I know it's probably, ten, you know, 10 tracks too long, but, uh, you know, Kanye has some stuff on there, especially the last five or six songs of the album are, are very good. Whether you like Kanye or not, those last, you know, he has some quality music on there that's re-listenable uh, as in comparison to Drake. So from that standpoint, I, I give the edge, I have to give the edge to, um, you know, to uh, Donda and to Kanye from that standpoint. But we, again, we should not be having that um that conversation of course um the biggest news of the weekend uh yesterday with the tragic death of one michael k williams we're gonna have in a few minutes uh we're gonna be i'm gonna be joined by robert sapp to discuss his life legacy and just you know the you know his struggle um you know, with you know his struggle that uh, inevitably took him out of here. Um, it, this was a. Uh, it was, I to be honest, I was completely shocked by this uh, when I heard this news. Um, when you hear somebody dying on the internet, immediately you're, you're thinking that uh, like, okay, stop playing. You know, someone's playing around. He didn't die. Someone we've heard so many fake celebrity deaths over the past decade or half decade that you you, you get conditioned to saying that it's not this is not a this is just this is not real. But when I saw it, I saw it from somebody who I know would not make this up uh, in terms of being connected to Hollywood, and I immediately just immediately knew that it was it was true. So you know, again, I won't go all the way into it because I want to discuss it. We're going to discuss it with Robert Sapp, but you know, it was one of those. It definitely, you know, one of those gut punches. To be honest with you, um, seeing someone who seemingly was a happy person, who, despite everything that you read about, despite everything with his interviews, despite some of the pain that he was in, that the struggles that he was dealing with came off as a person who loved what he did and gave off a lot of, a tremendous amount of positive energy. If you did not, if you did, if you did not know the Michael K. Williams story, you would not, wouldn't have believed that this was possible, to be honest with you. You just looked at all his interviews. If you just looked at, if you just read body language uh, during during his interviews, looked at Instagram posts, things of that nature, followed him on the internet, followed him on Twitter, and and you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that this would be the uh, the end of his life or that he would go out in this fashion. But of course, you know, 
we don't know these celebrities or people in general. You never know what's going on behind closed doors, someone's personal struggle. Um, we don't know. And again, 54 years old, of course, born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, we know all, you know all the things that he was in as far as some of the legendary roles and television series that he played in. Um, and again, we're gonna, right, we'll deal with the majority of it um, when Robert Sapp arrives, but um, so we'll, we'll, dis we'll discuss it with that. We're gonna get on a couple more things before we go heavy into Michael Gay Williams, because that will take up the brunt of, of, of the podcast. So we'll, we'll um, I will do real thoughts before Mr. Sapp arrives. Um, so Lil Nas X, the master, Lil Nas X has taken Takashi 69's title as the master attention seeker and getter. And he's doing it, by the, by the way, he's doing it without snitching. <laughs> he's doing it without snitching. So Lil Nas X's uh, album Montero will be out September 17th. And we talked about rollouts. Like J. Cole had a great rollout. Kanye and Drake had their rolls out, they had their rollouts. Lil Nas X is in the process of rolling out his album. And uh, I'm telling you right now, he's doing a absolute masterful job of it because people are going to be talking about it up until the point when it comes out and they're going to stream it and those numbers are going to be insane. So he comes out uh, on a cover with uh, uh, or the post of him being pregnant and saying, basically, I'm birthing Montero. It will be Montero will be born September 17th. And immediately, Little Bootsy, our friend Little Bootsy, who seemingly is semi, I guess, semi obsessed with Lil Nas X, uh, just post, you know, some Lil Bootsy stuff at basically 630 in the morning. And, you know, we know what Lil Bootsy said a few weeks ago, saying that uh, if he ever came on the stage while he was, that he wanted to beat Lil Nas X up for coming on, coming on stage naked and with other naked men, some of that, you know, we we you heard about all those things a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we took a lot of little Bootsy took a lot of heat for that. Um, he's you know doesn't mess with Lil Nas X whatsoever, doesn't agree with how you know vulgar Lil Nas X is or how free Lil Nas X is with with his sexuality. Um, so we 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 already know that. But here's the thing. So Lil Nas X, Lil Nas X took that tweet from Lil Bootsy and retweeted. And it was smart from a standpoint of Lil Nas X has the majority of people on his side, number one. Number two, it just garnered him more attention. There is no shaming Lil Nas X right now. There's no embarrassing Lil Nas X right now. Where you agree or disagree, you're not. All you're doing by coming at Lil Nas X is making him stronger and empowering him that much more. You are just adding to his fan base, in essence. You're adding to his fan base, and he again. This is a guy who loves attention. Now, my criticism, criticism of Lil Nas X. I don't care about your sexuality. I don't care about what you do in your bedroom. 
a criticism with Lil Nas X, or what I'm concerned about Lil Nas X is he seems to be, you know, with each move, with each, uh, you want to say, action, seems to go yeah, in a place where it's like, can you top that? And I, like, I, I you know, I have a concern that how long can that last? Because right now, we're almost now we're not quite there to where we're talking. Not like unlike I got to see with with Takashi. The thing about Lil Nas X, Lil Nas X has come out with some with some music that people fuck with. Unlike he got to a point with Takashi Six Nine where he wasn't the music was secondary. It was just about the antics. So with Lil Nas X, it's still about the music, but the antics are starting to catch up with the music. And if he keeps trying to top himself, eventually the antics will surpass the music and he will become a caricature of himself. That's the concern with Lil Nas X if he wants to have a, you know, a long career, a relatively long career, uh, whatever you can, you know, 10 years, 10 years or so. Um, so, but in terms of like, there's no, there's no shaming Lil Nas X. Like you're not going to embarrass. You can call him whatever name in a book. You can trash his lifestyle. He takes this, and it's like the Incredible Hulk. He just gets stronger. He's going to get stronger with, with the kind, with the hate and with the homophobia. It, 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 it again. It all it does is empower him. It just makes him that. It makes him a martyr, a living martyr in, in many, in, in many, in many ways. That's all it does. It, like you. He's little Boosie. I mean, little Boosie might as well be working for little Nas X. To be honest, with you. he might as well be his PR person because every time he tweets about him, every time he speaks up about him in an interview, he is promoting, in essence, promoting little Nas X. <laughs> now, again, little Boosie does not see this. He just sees I need to speak out because I I don't fuck with this behavior, and you know, his mind is ruining our young men, and so on, and so on, and so on. But he doesn't realize that all he's doing is is growing Lil Nas X's fan base and making Lil Nas X that much more uh, of a, a popular figure uh, in, in 2021. So, um, again, I, I'm telling you right now, the rollout has begun. Um, and that the album will be, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that album knocked Drake out the top spot for a week. When they would not, they would not shock me. Now Drake's gonna have a two weekend start, but it, 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 Drake, of course, has a, he's gonna have a two weekend start. But I, it would not surprise me whatsoever if that the Montero debuted at number one. It's gonna be it's gonna debut top three at 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 least top three at minimum at worst the top three of, of the Billboard uh, 200, 200 charts. Uh, Naomi Osaka. Um, was uh, knocked out of the U.S. Open, a just a brutal year for her, personally as well as professionally. We know that she's dealt she dealt she's dealt with bouts of anxiety and depression. Uh, right now, she's not in a good place. Um, it just doesn't seem that she can like give her her whole self to the tennis to the tennis courts to the sport right now um, and that, uh, you know, whatever is going on with her mentally is affecting her play. 
because um, some of these tournaments, he's been knocked out and knocked out early. It's not like she's getting to the finals and semifinals. He's getting knocked out in the second and third rounds to two women that two women that are just not as good as her. Uh, let's be completely honest. Uh, when she's on her game, um, she's to me the best in the sport. But mentally, she's not there right now. And I again, we root. I root for Naomi Osaka. I want Naomi Osaka to get the do whatever it takes to take care of herself, her mental health. Um, because tennis, listen, tennis. You know, she's 23 years old. You know, she has another, you know, six or seven years at top level. Um, tennis is not going anywhere. And, but when tennis is done, she's going to have to deal with herself and live with herself. So, you know, she, if your name is soccer, right now, tennis has to be put on the back burner. And if she has to take, you know, two to three to four months off, then so be it. Uh, you know, it's, it's you know, because right now it's, it's the most, it's, it's the, the worst. It is the, um, it's the double whammy. It's not so. So you're dealing with you're dealing with you're dealing with your struggles mentally, and also you're losing matches on top of it. So I can't. I mean, that can't losing can't help your mental health. Uh, that can't be a you know. That, I'm sorry. You know that can't be helping her out um, when she goes home or when she, you know, is she's just not she's just not there right now mentally. And again, that's not a knock on her. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, I, I think that, you know, she should take whatever time she needs to get the uh, necessary help. Yes. Necessary help best and I, I, and again, sport attendance, you know, this is where, this is where tennis drives me crazy because tennis has always been behind far as how they treat their players. And I'm not just going on besides mental health. I'm talking about physically. Schedule is way the schedule is way too grueling. Number one, there's no real off season in tennis. Um and you know they they're trying to put in these things for mental health, but it is it's kind of like they I mean they're almost as bad as the NFL NFL <laughs> was trying to, you know, Fight for you know against racism and 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 things of that nature. It's like you hard to even take serious because the policies are either just are are not going to be effective or just you know are just out there for optics. Like they're not going to have any real impact when it came to, like when it came especially when it came to social justice. Like let's just write checks and toss money at the situation. That's not going to make the situation go away. And tennis to me again has completely drop the ball uh, when it's come to this, when it's come to mental health and when it's come to protecting and taking care of, uh, of his players, period. So I, I, if I'm the only, Naomi Osaka has plenty of money, so it's not even about, you know, she, you know, she, she has plenty of money. It's not even about that from the standpoint. I, I think she has to do whatever, I mean, whatever it takes to um, whatever it takes to uh, take care of herself. I mean, without, listen, without we are, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. You have, you know, 
climate change causing with you know with these hurricanes. Uh, Hurricane Ida, you had flooding all over the East Coast last week. Uh, New Orleans trying to recover um, from Hurricane Ida. Uh, a lot going on in this world. Still, you know, a lot going on in this world. Uh, your mental health is everything. Uh, it really is. It, it's not. You you are absolutely useless and, and useless without it. And you got you know you got to take care of yourself. Um, Giants Dodgers. Uh, so the Giants took you know knocked off the Dodgers on Sunday. Uh, I was doing that game with the Sunday night baseball uh, radio broadcast um, in terms of board operating it. And listen, the baseball playoffs are going to be great. Uh, if we get if you can get a Giants Dodgers playoff series, that would be it, it would just be un, it'd be unreal. I can't I can't remember the last time they played in the playoffs. To be honest with you, it's, I, I, I wish you know somebody looked that up because I can't remember the last time that those two legendary franchises played. Uh, we know the Giants have been the classic overachieving team this year. We know that the Dodgers are pound for pound, player for player, the, the most talented team in baseball. But again. You know, thing about the great thing about baseball is it doesn't matter if you have the best players per se. It's about the team that gets hot, the pitching, what have you, is the ultimate equalizer. Giants have had great pitching. Um, they have uh, again been one of the best. I think been the pound, the the best story in all of baseball. A lot of people thought they were going to fall off in late July, early August. It did not happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to be even if they don't win the division, they want to make the playoffs. Uh, we've seen Albert Pujols kind of rent, you know, kind of get a, get, get a jump, you know, jump start his career again, have a, a second a rebirth. He seemingly was finished with uh, the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Angels. He's he's been he's had an excellent year for the Dodgers. Um, if those two teams meet in the playoffs, you know, then baseball baseball will have won in a big way. If those two teams were to meet, I hope they meet. Um, because it is, you know, I mean, Giants, Dodgers, you can't beat at a great, great regular season um, series. Uh, Giants win at the 19, they played 19 games, and Giants won 10 out of the 19 games. Very close games, competitive uh, games, uh, to say the least. That was a, a great, uh, excellent series this weekend. And, um, Again, I think I think if you're baseball, you are certainly rooting for a um, for a Giants Dodgers uh, postseason, the Giants Dodgers matchup in in, uh, in the postseason. Uh, some other thoughts on baseball: uh, Yankees Yankees have certainly cooled off after winning 13 straight. They are like two and eight in their last ten games. They have some bullpen issues. Their offense has, has struggled, especially with their power hitters, Judge and Stanton, to say the least. Um, you know, they uh, got smacked last night, or not last night, uh, yesterday afternoon against Toronto. Um, so, you know, that race is still pretty pretty much wide, wide open in the, in the AL East. Uh, we know where Houston is. We know that, you know, what the White Sox are. We know that... Um, with the White Sox are in the in the Central Division, Houston already uh, certainly going to be a playoff team, and you know it's going to be a number of teams fighting, battling in the uh, American League East, trying to make the playoffs. So, I mean, the play. Listen, baseball is all about the postseason. 
um, that has not changed, uh, especially with all these wild cards, is, is, you know, it is a countdown to October. They will have their month. Um, now, again, they're going to have to share it so much with the NFL, with the NFL in a little bit. Well, not too much because they, they won't cut into the NBA. Well, a little bit with the NBA, but mainly with the NFL. Uh, but um, – uh, the postseason should be great this year in, in baseball. Again, for those of you, and I've had, I've, 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 it's been very quiet about what the Houston Astros are doing. It's been very quiet. It's been, you know, there's been crickets. Everybody, now again, at, we know the Astros cheated, but I, I thought it was way overblown as far as, you know, people knocking their championship and, you know, saying that it should be taken away and all this other shit. It, the bottom line is, listen, Houston had, that for that three to four year period, they had the best team in baseball for that for that you know from 2017 to 2020. Cumulatively, they were the best team in baseball, and because they had the best players, and they, and they were, those guys played great when it counted the most. So I I don't you know won a championship in 2017, lost in the World Series in 2000 and and, uh, and 19. To the Nationals, but that like I don't want to hear. I, I never bought into the, the to the idea that the Houston Astros were winning games because of uh, because of because of the cheating, the sign stealing. I never bought into that whatsoever. Was it an advantage? Yes. Causing them to win games? No. Sorry, they would have beat the Dodgers regardless. They would have beat the Yankees in 2019 regardless. Period. And you're looking at what they're doing now. They're kicking their Kicking everybody's ass in the American League, period. So I, where, where is the fall off? Where's the fall off that was supposed, supposed to happen when they were, you know, forced to play straight like everybody else? But everybody, everybody's like, oh, Houston, look for them to be, you know, look for them to struggle, look for Houston to be, you know, probably not make the playoffs this year. No, that has not been the case. They've been one of the best teams in baseball, and everybody got to eat a little, you know, people, you know, critics and what have you got to eat a little crow on that. Because the Houston the Astros have played excellent baseball, and they they, they well, don't be surprised if the Houston Astros, if were anybody surprised if they win a championship, if they win a World Series this year? No, absolutely not. So it's been very quiet in in regards to um, in regards to uh, the uh, the talk of the uh, Houston Astros and and, and and what have you. Um, before Robert Sapp comes on, um, in regards to the NBA, listen, I, I'm not going to sit up here and analyze every move that the, that the Nets <laughs> and Lakers make. Uh, they're clearly, these two teams are clearly in an arms race. Um, Lakers are expected to sign DeAndre Jordan. We see the Nets sign Millsap <laughs> and LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, make no mistake about it, though. The Nets are clearly clearly have the best roster in the sport. Um, when you, you look at the net bench, you look at the, I mean, the net bench, like they, the, 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 the Nets have the best starting five. They have one of the deepest benches in the league. They have one of, I mean, you're talking about having Patty Mills, Aldrich, and Millsap come off the bench. Nick Claxton played well for him last year. So uh, their bench is, I mean, they, they have they, they, are, they have a loaded, loaded bench as we will be now joined by one 
Robert Sapp. What's going on, Mr. Sapp? Hey, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I was just talking about uh, talking about this arms race in the NBA with the Lakers and Knicks. Nah, excuse me, the Lakers. Oh, okay. The Lakers and Nets yeah. wanted to sign every every ex All Star known to man. <laughs> like, I mean, like, like, yeah, Lakers signed and going to resign DeAndre Jordan. Then the Nets want to sign, uh, sign yeah. All and Millsap. Like, so you know, yeah. You know, let's let's play the finals. Let's play, let's, let's play the finals right now. Why wait to June? Well, I mean, it's 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 one of those things, right? And we've seen this before. It's not the first time we've seen this. We've seen teams get locked, locked in arms, arms races. What does what all everything is exciting? You know, exciting talk, all the different stuff. What this will ultimately boil down to, as we know, it will be Durant, Kyrie. And James Harden's health, mental states, LeBron, Westbrook, Davis's health, yep. slash mental state, right? Yep. Like that. That's what it will ultimately boil down to. Yep. So we're in for one hell of a final if everybody can, at the very least, make it relatively healthy. Through the playoffs, I don't need. We don't need them through the entire season at no. all. That's why you have all these pieces for the seat, the regular season. Yeah, that, right? well, that, like to, to be able line. to play around, do stuff like that. Yes, that's the bottom Once line. Once it gets to the playoffs, these... it'll be the seven, seven, eight man rotation. Right, and that's when we need them just to stay healthy. Yeah, here's the thing. Before we get, before we get to because even I think mentally, all the guys will be. Fine during the playoffs, right? Like no one would go too crazy in the playoffs. Um, we just need to get them through the playoffs, yeah, and then I, we're in for one hell of a final. Yeah, here, here's the thing: with all these players that are being signed, there's no excuse for these teams not to get to the finals and not to be healthy going into the playoffs. Like all these players you're signing, ideally, you want to use your depth to rest. All to kind of rest Kyrie, rest Durant, rest LeBron, rest Anthony Davis. So you know it's roster management, management. at that point. Yes. Who's in, yeah. who's in control of that on these these teams, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. it yeah. yeah, you're right. You know what I mean, it, it, this is why you do this. This is exactly why you do this to have all that flexibility throughout these 82 games. This is yeah. exactly why this happened. So, there's no, I'm just repeating what you said. There's no reason both of these teams are not in the finals. There's no. just no reason. No, it's, no. It's there's not, no reason. It's, yeah, it, it would, yeah. I, yeah, I, it's, yeah, yeah. It, 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 they, they, I mean, here's, they here's the fun, you know, a, and I'll, I'll bring it back to those, that 72 Warriors team that actually was, that 72 win Warriors team that actually was really fun and enjoyable to watch. Right. It's if one of these teams actually decides, you know what? We don't want to just coast to the finals. We want to be great. Dominant. Right. We want to be remembered. That's when it gets really fun. Yeah. 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 We'll see. If, the, we'll see. if, if Brooklyn, like if for whatever reason, if they, I mean, this is, this is going on the way far opposite side of probably what's going to happen. 
But they got together and said, you know what? Let's try for 72. Let's go. Let's go for it. Let's see how close we get. Yeah. That would be fun. That would yeah. be fun to watch. That would be fun. That would be that, fun to watch. That would be fun. No, it would be fun. So, um... There's no way that. <laughs> obviously, the big news of the week, of the weekend, and there was a lot of stuff going on in the weekend with music and with the college football being, it's really the first week uh, of major matchups. But obviously, the uh, story and tragic story of the weekend was the sudden death of one Michael K. Williams. Um, we both obviously closely follow his work over the past 20 years. I mean, we've done podcasts on The Wire, did podcasts on Boardwalk Empire, of course, that last season. Um, what were your initial thoughts basically 24 hours later as you've had a chance to somewhat process this tragic and sudden loss of, of, of a yeah, yeah. I, I think that, like you said it at the very end of it, like that's where I got, I mean, like the initial thought was, I I honestly hoped it was fake. Right. But like, with, like, same thing with Kobe. I just hoped it was fake. I just hoped it was fake. And so, of course, it's not. And then um, I, I texted a friend. It's just like, you know, I, I, count myself as a pretty reasonable, fair-headed person where I don't go too um, crazy over things that for real don't have anything to do with me or any type of anything. But this is what, what I texted was, this was one of those times where a person who I've never met, um, their death impacted me. Right. Um, and, and my friend texted back that it's, it's because he made you feel like you knew him in those characters. Right. And I was like, you're right. And so then that led me to be like, what you, to you, what, how you ended that sentence? Great, great actor. Like people are going to say character actor. Michael K. Williams was a great actor. You put him in a different, hmm, how do I say this? Um, you put him in a different context where he's able to be a top star, however you want to define that. Um, I'm thinking more race, of course. Um, however you want to define it. And he could have done any role well. Right. Any role well. He's one of these people like, um, same thing like Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? It didn't matter how small the role was, how big the role was. You knew he was going to be great in it. Michael K. Williams. Yeah. It didn't matter how big the role was, small the role was, television, movie. You knew when he came on the screen, he was going to be great in that role. You were not going to be able to take your eyes off of him. And he was going to fully inhabit the character and make you feel for the character. And so that's why I started really thinking about just how great of an actor he was. Yeah. I, 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 again, my immediate reaction, of course, was just uh, shock. I was coming from, coming from work. I saw the post on Instagram, and I, I immediately knew it was true because the person who's, who posted yeah. it, yeah. the person who posted it was, was 
connected with Hollywood and she I like she, you know, she had like she didn't know him, but she it was like I was like, Yeah, this this is this is true. Like I, like it was it wasn't from one of these it random was just, it was just a purely emotional reaction. I yeah, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't from one of these random I just like, didn't know so, I just didn't want to Yeah. Purely emotional. So I'm trying to wrap. I don't. Head. I don't go off. And of, you know me. I don't go off of crazy stuff. So right. when I when I saw it for real, it was all for for real sources and for real places. So that I, don't just publish no, anything. No. So I'm like, you know, as I'm digging into his his career and more in in and not even so much like reading articles. You know, read, read a couple of think pieces that were fine. But all all the thing pieces basically said the same. The thing that triggered me and and hit me emotionally was when I heard the various interviews uh, that he did, and I was like, "This dude was like I, I said, and I, I I said this to Chad today said this was this was almost inevitable that this was going to happen. You have you have a guy who came into this business with demons addiction tragedy all with with if you want to call that if you want to call that i don't call it baggage but this real life shit that he, that he dealt with before he became michael k williams the 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 the, the star and omar and, and all these characters that he played so he had that he had that coming into this so you get to a point you you, you know you go back and trace his career um he was a late he was a late bloomer Okay, really didn't his career didn't jump off till his late twenties, early thirties. You know, he has he has the bar fight in in Queens at the age of twenty five. Gets his his, his uh, face slashed, which almost killed him. And that scar, that famous scar he has, gets him the role that jump starts his career. Two packs before, saw the scar and said, "This has I, this this guy has to be my brother in the uh, the movie Bullet." So you hear that, and it's like, oh, well, this, this, you know, this guy is, is meant to be the sky's the limit. His career, you know, you hear those type of stories. You are meant to be here. You're meant to be where you're where you're at. You use that, you parlay that into a couple movies. Then you start this 20-year relationship with HBO. And anybody knows about HBO and their actors, that when the actors do good work, HBO will take care of you. Like there be a number. I see a number of actors, you know, who I might not know by name, but I know their face because they were, they've been with HBO for like twenty years or fifteen years. So, you know, he you know he goes he gets with the wire, and he does what he does there, and so on and so on. But as I'm listening to these interviews, I, I'm feeling like a guy who had to go and who had to go to places that were so dark. To, to bring out these performances that it was kind of like yeah it was kind of like what happened yesterday was just going to happen like it didn't happen yesterday it was going to happen in six months or a year like it was almost like and that was to me the saddest part of it like imagine we both strive to be great in our respective possession of uh, professions i'm a content creator I mean, we're both searching we're both kind of searching for greatness in terms of what we do so imagine you get to that place, but the trade-off is you gotta you have to like not sell, but give up in essence a piece of your soul. And that triggers addiction, 
depression, things of that nature. And that 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 to me is is, is the tragedy in all of this. I have a slightly different slant. I do not disagree with you with what you're saying, but my slant is I don't know if I don't know if for him, um, if he could have done the things he did without being going through the things he had gone through, right? Like, right. like I, I don't I don't know if you could separate those things out, and so. Um, that you know, there is it's that that is to to take it out of the context of what we're talking about right now, and then take it into story. Um, that's what makes tragedies all throughout history, all throughout time, so powerful, right? right? It's the idea that the thing that makes me great is also the thing that's the worst for me. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like it has so many different there's so many different characters that inhabit that that part and the reason why it resonates no matter what time period you're in whether it's 2021 1950 you know shakespeare days greek tragedies all the way back whatever it is um that's why it resonates throughout time because all of us have parts of ourselves that are like that and we can all identify that and it so happens in this case, it's very public. All his struggles became very public as part of his rise into notoriety. And so I, I also think to kind of go down the road you're talking about, you know, I think about Dave Chappelle all the time, right? Right. Um, and we talked about this many, many times when he quit the Chappelle show. When yeah. he came back and he had that first few interviews. He was just like, Hollywood makes you crazy. Right. It makes you crazy. And so I also wonder about the trade-off for that celebrity and fame. Right. Particularly if you're someone who has to go through those deep, dark spaces, right? right. In order to, to get to the, the level of character um, you need to get to to be really good at your job um, and then having to then do interviews on it, right? And talk about it, yeah. you know, and have everybody know all of that pain, that that stuff. That feels, honestly, that feels crazy to me. That feels like, yeah. that That feels like that would make me crazy. I, so think, I, would, think, that, I would not enjoy that part. Think, think about what Money, yes. Money, yeah. yes. Absolutely. But, but Man, that that part feels hard. Think about what you just said, right? So, okay, you look at his performances. We're talking about The Wire. He he, I mean, he spoke out and said during season three, he was he was in a dark place, was on drugs, uh, was homeless at one point, and he was dealing with you know those demons. Then, then you go to the night of where he has to like. Uh, do scenes where he's cooking drugs, that took him to dark. That took him to another dark place that he had to deal with. Uh, and then being in being in jail, playing a, a prisoner in essence, which he did in that particular that particular role for that 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 one season series. Uh, and then you go Lovecraft last season, 
uh, with all with all the stuff that was going on, even in our country with the social justice and the pandemic, and also filming that and all the you know the brilliant. We we love Lovecraft, but that was a lot of heavy material, and he spoke out. He spoke about having to do therapy um, after that. So it's like he kept getting. It was like he was getting hit one after the other. There was no light. He wasn't taking these any light role, any light roles. Like the, I think the lightest role he did, and we both thought that, we both know that this was horrible. But the lightest role that I remember him doing was he he played Carrie uh, Washington's boyfriend in the I think I love my wife where he got where he it was it was like uh, it was like this. It was like uh, Omar should be in it. Like, yeah, he's like, he, he should not. We can't picture Omar in a sweater. We didn't even call him, like, okay, we call him Omar. He's like, no, this is not, probably not the movie we should see him in. That was light. So it's like, it's like what you had just said about this, this torture chamber that you put yourself through, you do the research for those roles, which is a form of trauma. You actually you shoot the scenes, a form of trauma. Then you interview, do various interviews for that, which is a form of trauma. You're like, yeah, it's constant trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And I think it's important, just kind of like what you just said, it's like when that feeling of either the actuality of you trying to do a different role, that slider, and everybody's like, Stop! Don't do that. Do the do the hard, yeah, yeah, nitty gritty role, right? right. Like so, it's right. just like even when you, even if you think about it, trying like that's a box. That's a that's a very tricky box to be in. Absolutely, no, absolutely, no. He he played. I do not envy that. No, he played a certain type of role. We we I, like we we joke that he played that. You know, we could we can make a case that Omar was in Boardwalk Empire. Omar was in the night of oh, like it was from Omar. It was parts of Omar in a number of his roles that <laughs> he played. But here, here's the thing, right? And I like not not to cut you off, but um, so like let's take a uh something something silly like uh um uh I know you don't watch this show, but um just the only thing that I can reference um in my head right now is The Office. And there's a character on there named Angela, and she's a short white woman who, if she by her by her own definition, is a bitchy character. That's how she describes her character. And and I've listened to her in interviews, and what she says is every role that she gets, that agent gets her, is like, oh, we want you to play a bitchy character in this show and in this movie, in this movie, everything like that. So I say, I say that to say. He gets typecast in that. It's not just, oh, this is the only thing I want to do. Right. But Hollywood, this part of the thing, like why I say it, I think about Dave Chappelle, Hollywood making you crazy. Also, part of that is the fact that you start to only get those types of roles offered. Everybody only sees you as that. Right. And that also has to be really hard and really challenging. So yeah. it's not just these are the only roles he wants. These are the only roles that people offer him as well. And then what happens is with him, he's such, you know, we talked about at the top, he was such a brilliant actor. When you destroy those roles, you get the critical acclaim, 
and people just and people say, "Hey, you were you know, man, you destroyed you you killed it." So that that feed that feeds from a I guess from a positive standpoint that feeds into your ego saying, "All right, I gotta do." I gotta do more of this, despite the fact that, despite what mental toll that is taken on me, because I actually, I actually am good at this, and very few people reach this level or find what they. Very few people on this earth, a lot of people on this earth don't find what they're great at. You know what I'm saying? They go through life yeah. working and wandering about. Let's be honest with that. So to find what you're great at, to be good at it, and to execute it to a point to to do it to at the highest of level is a rare that just doesn't happen every day. No, no, no. And I mean like and that's I mean like let's give the man his flowers, right? Yeah. Um you know like like uh it, after everything like there's there's no one else on the planet that could have played Omar living, dead, whatever, who could have who could have done Omar. No. 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 There's just no one. There, no. That character doesn't exist without him. No, it's just that simple. I, I thought right, I, and like, and like to say like Omar is just like he did Omar. That's one of the most iconic characters in television history. Right. Period. That there is. The, I mean, and, and think about that though. And like that's to you like what you say. Like let's get a man flowers. That's another level. That's another level of greatness. Yes. Right. It's not like what we talk about in basketball. You know the difference between. Um, superstar, all-star, all, yes. all yes. you know, there's levels to there's levels to this. Right. And probably the only level over what he did would be like an Al Pacino De Niro type career, right? Like where like you did like if you were if you were leveling, that's probably the only level he did not reach. But right. there aren't there aren't many people who have been throughout all of how all of everything, television, move, whatever, anything like that, written, literature, all, all, put it all together, put every put it all into one bucket, painting, art, all of that stuff that can say, I created something iconic. Right. This will live forever. So far beyond me. Yes. And that's the special part. That's something just a precious few of us can can touch. So in regards no to... No matter the, how good we are at our jobs, whatever it is. Right. Being iconic? Yeah, that's rare. Having yeah. your, what you did, your art, your legacy, your whatever you have, like live beyond you. Yeah. In a very public way, it's just not, that's, that's not something that comes along. And so you gotta be, you got to be a special talent. You do. So in regards to the Omar character, um, I think because this, you know, the wires shot and uh came out two thousand two. I, I can I can strongly make a case for that character for him being a pioneer from that standpoint in terms of you didn't see characters, especially black male. Gay characters written. He, I think he. I think he. Yeah, that, that wasn't a thing. That, that was, was no. That wasn't with nuance. It just wasn't that type of range and that that those layers. That just you didn't see those characters on television. Period. Right. He did. He did all. That's the point. He did all that. That yeah. wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. It's like you didn't see unicorns. Nope. Because unicorns aren't a thing. 
<laughs> like, like, no. Until you see a unicorn, and unicorns are, you know, it's a horrible analogy, but it, like, what you just described was not a thing that was on television. It just wasn't. Yeah. He, no. and of course, the writer, they created that. They created that, period. Yeah. No. And that's part of what makes it so iconic. It just, that, it just, that came from him. And anybody who was on that show, who went on show, you know, we've read everything, looked at everything, they all will say the exact same thing. That was Michael K. Williams. Yeah. Yeah. And the character yeah. originally, and you know this as, as a wirehead yourself, the character was only supposed to last, you know, a few episodes. Like that character was not written yeah. to be a major, you know, yeah. major character. Well, no, my favorite thing is um, they have a YouTube there's a YouTube video adding up like the total amount of screen time he had and it's something ridiculously low for how impactful he was. So we talk about Kevin Durant efficiency? Oh yeah, yeah this oh. is like all He things. was next level efficiency. Yeah, that's yeah, no, this is the PER was high. <laughs> he had a high player efficiency rating. Like it's is like you know, I was watching um, not too long ago. I was watching Tombstone, and of course, you know one of the iconic cowboy characters, of course, is Val Kilmer's role as Val Kilmer. Insane, uh-huh. in, in just insane. He didn't have a lot of time in that movie on screen. No, but every every scene, every word that Everything. came out of his mouth, he destroyed. And that's why. It, and, it, it, it's what it's exact definite still in the shot. Yeah, yeah. You just like you like, and that's and that, again we talk about his talent. To again, the wire, the wire was not written to be a star. It wasn't. It wasn't Sopranos. It wasn't Breaking Bad. It was not written to be. You know, it's it's uh, Brian Cranston and everybody else, or it's Tony Soprano and everybody else. That's not the wires. Is was a star of the wire was Baltimore. Okay, star of the wire was the city that Baltimore destroyed, but. That and it was a, it's an ensemble cast. It's an ensemble cast, absolutely. That character, his character, or Omar, like you said, every scene he's in, he owns every scene. Every scene he owns that he's in. And that that is like to for you to, to have your presence felt at that level is as a level again, it's is next, it's absolutely is 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 Haley's comedy is next level acting and next level It's just you just don't see Michael it. K. Williams through Omar through Omar made whistling the farmer in the Dale <laughs> iconic. Yes. Think about that. No, yes. Think about yes. that. Yes. <laughs> whistling. He made that menacing and terrifying like like what? What how? If you write that on paper and give that to somebody, they're like, get out of my face with this. This right. is ridiculous. Only only he could pull that off. Yeah. No. I it's mean, just that simple. I mean, that, that's no one about, else can do that. No, nobody else. Again, like no one else can pull that off. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible that, that you, you think about that, about these characters. Like, you know, you can go, we can look at Omar. We can look at uh, even uh, Tony Soprano with Gandolfini, um, and, and you know even even with uh, Cranston uh, in, in, as, as Walt in Breaking Bad. Like, yeah, these are great actors, 
But, you know, like Denzel Washington in his prime couldn't do Omar. Uh, Robert De Niro couldn't do Tony Soprano to that. No, no, no one could do it. No, no one. Like no. these, these, no one these, else. No these specific actors no were born for these roles. Like they, like no one else is pulling off these roles. Well, it's, it's actually, I think, honestly, that's taken away from his talent, Terrell. I don't think he was born for this. He created that. He created, right. And, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. I you're mean, right. like any writer will tell you, any director, anybody in the the. The, the other side, on the other side of the camera will tell you that they can write and shoot anything any type of way. Right. It's the choices the actors make that make it special. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, because you can just find any, anybody, anybody can look any of these different things up, listening to the creators, David Simon, and uh, particularly David Simon, let's just keep on David Simon, talking about talking about Omar character, everything like that, and how he had it written on the page was nothing compared to what Michael K. Williams did. Right. And it's because it's all because of everything, the choices he made. He made. Probably the biggest credit that anybody could take was the person who casted him. Yep. The person said, you know what? He, he has a look that would fit this character. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the best thing that somebody could take because everything else that was Michael K. Williams, True. and it's not just coming from a fanboy. These are coming from the writers, directors, producers, fellow actors. This is coming from them. So anybody, go out, look, you'll find, you'll find it, you'll yeah. find it way yeah. before, of course, his death, way right. before his death. They were saying these things. Here's the resume. They were saying them in the moment. Right. You know, de- yeah, definitely in the moment. Um, here's the resume as far as his uh, his uh, television series. I- I'll-, I'll put the put the movies aside for a second. Even though he had, a, you know, it was he had a, he had a couple movies. Uh, Twelve Years a Slave, uh, Inherit Vice. He played good roles in, but he made you know he made his money. He made his his name, of course, off these television series. So he was. You go The Wire, Boardwalk Empire, The Night Of, Happen Leonard, When They See Us, and Lovecraft Country. I would challenge anybody. There's never been, I, I, and I don't say this in hyperbole, this is not hyperbole. There's no actor that has that resume for, as far as television series. Like, that is, like, that. that is a... If if you're an actor and you get one of those roles, you would you would be happy with one of those roles. Like if you just had Omar and that's it, that's a that's a lifetime right there. You have six. <laughs> you have six of those roles. I hear you, Terrell. I hear you. He made those roles. Yes. Another actor playing no, no, those exactly roles no. is not it. that. No, no. So they can have it on their resume, but it wouldn't but be the same. It would just be no. a thing on their resume. It's not the same. You're right. No, he made those same. specials. Yes. He right. made those specials. Yeah, no. His count. Without question. His level of depth, his, his, all of that came from him. That's why we're talking about him. That's why it hurt. Because of the talent he brought to these characters. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. He's really, really good. He's a really no. great actor. No, he... He's like, really, really good. You, but here's the thing, like... 
we, we talk about this um, in our professions as far as with, with education, as far as trust and how important trust is with students and with the people that you work with uh, in, in general. You, when you watch him perform, when you watch Michael K. Williams, uh, for Michael K. Williams' performance, you believe him. You believe that actor. You trust it. Like you, you. There was no like. There was, you, you'll watch certain actors. You say, "I just don't buy this actor in this role. I just I'm not. I don't. I don't buy." It. That was never the case. He was his role. Period. Yes. Yeah. You, but you yeah, believe that, that character. That he's. You believe that he's this character. Without, without even, yeah. without, without hesitation, without uh, question. So again, again, that is like that's a you know that is again that is a a rare, um, uh, definitely a rare trait that uh, you know in any you know doesn't happen that often in any profession, let alone the acting profession. Um, I you know I merely thought about three things when this happened um, that that were kind of going going too soon, and it was Heath Ledger, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Robin Williams. Those are three people that I thought about when this came down. Um, you know, what are yeah. your I love the feel like that's why I brought Philip Seymour Hoffman. I love that comparison the best. Um, because uh I mean all tragic, of course, all tragic, right. all all guy rest their souls, all that. Um but I like that comparison the best because um Philip Seymour Hoffman was never a leading man. Right. He had more opportunities because of, I'm, you know, I'm, let's just call it space space right now. Because he was a white man, so he got more bites at the apple. Right. But because of his appearance, you know, he, he wasn't ever viewed as like, oh, he's going to be the star of this. But every single role that he was in, he did the damn thing. Period. Like, like he, he, he was, he was that, he was that actor. Um, and I, that's, that's why I like that comparison so much because it's the same thing with Michael K. Williams. Even in the like the minor roles that you were talking about in the movies, and even though the character placement might have been out of place, there was you didn't feel like he was ever cheating the character. Right. We have seen so many movies with so many actors who are supposed to be good. We've even, we've even come, come at Al Pacino and De Niro and them, that, that group for some of the roles they take where they just completely phone it in. Just completely. Right. Absolutely. I'm taking the paycheck. Period. Yeah. In the yeah. story. Yeah. Could care less about this role. And you can tell. You can tell in the performance. Yeah. Yeah. They can easily tell by how they're promoting the movie. They could care less about talking about that. And so I say that to say, you never got that sense ever from Michael K. Williams. Again, just go and read and look what other people, what, what his peers and the people who work with him said about him, not just fanboys, what the people who were actually there and, and worked with them in all the different capacities said about him. And way before his death, like this is not, you know, just somebody died, let's, let's really pump up their career. This was what people were saying in real time. Right. 
that's special as well. That doesn't happen a lot. No. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's, it's one of those things, like man. Fifty four years old is not. It's, it's way, Mm-mm. way too young. Way too young. Way too way young. Too young. And I, I was way. just like, he has a whole career worth uh, in terms of body of work. It's like worth yeah. like, five careers. But you know, you just wonder even what was like next. Um, yeah, he's gonna be in some stuff that that's already in post production that'll be coming out in a couple years in the future. It's like two or three different projects. Um, Chadwick Boseman is another one. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, four years. Hey, he was even younger. I mean, he was he was he was destroy he was destroying all roles, all yes. roles. everything. Yeah, he yeah. was just destroying. No, it well, didn't matter where you put no. Chadwick. And, no. I mean, he's just destroying. Yeah, he's just uh, destroying. And um, I, you know, I was looking at, I was looking at his IMD, IM, uh, IMDb, 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 IMDb. IMDb. That's as far as IMDb. Yeah, or maybe, maybe, not sure, whatever. We <laughs> no, know what you're talking. His about. Re- yes, his, his resume, <laughs> his, his, his uh, yeah. movie resume. And the thing that jumped out to me was how much. He was working like after after the wire it was go time like from 2002 yeah. to up until his death yeah. he's working constantly i mean yeah. stuff is dropping two three four sometimes four projects in, the, in a year yeah. so it was like you know you wonder obviously you know actors gotta eat you know things like that and you know but yeah. I, I just wondered if that was kind of like uh, that, that his constant work was kind of like a deflection, not a deflection, but using that, like, I want to work as much as possible because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the realities of of my situation per se. I, I, I wonder if that went into that. Or, and, and, and well, he loved the work. It's as all well. the things he that, the work. It's, it's all the things that, that we're talking about that specifically come into play. Um, and I've heard lots of actors in lots of different interviews say this. As an actor, you're 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 a contract, you're you're a, con- you're a contractor. So yeah. you're always thinking about what's next. Yes. You're never yeah. comfortable because once that thing ends, it ends. Yes. And so you're always, even if you get cast on like the wire, it's a serialized show that's gonna go, you know. The producers, the creators, HBO can say, you know, this is over five seasons. Yeah. So you're always thinking about what's next. And if you're not thinking about what's next, then you don't know how to pay those bills. You know how you don't pay those. Regardless of how much money you're making, you know, the bills, as we all know, the bills add up. They just do. They yeah. add up. And you got to pay. And um, and uh, you have to pay for life. And so, so it is a profession I say that to say it's a profession that leads to that type of mentality. I always have to be, or I always have to be, if I'm not, if I'm not currently working, I have to be hustling for the next thing. Because if I'm not, da da da. And then you add that on to, like what you said, late start, late bloomer. And then on top of that, being a black man in Hollywood, you can't turn down stuff. You don't know when the yeah. next one's coming. Yeah, no, no, no. They're, they're just, they're like, that, 
that is probably only Denzel and like Samuel Jackson and maybe like three more others. Will Smith. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like honestly, it's a short, very short list of, yeah. of people who feel confident they're going to continue to get work. Right. Yeah. And probably I'll take Samuel L. Jackson out there. That's probably the reason why he takes everything because of that constant fear yeah. of like, who knows when this is going to turn against me? Who knows? Let me take every job I possibly can. No, it, it, it's without question. I, yeah, I, it, you know, again, all the interviews that I listened to with him, it just seemed like again, it seemed like somebody, a guy, clearly was. And again, the interviews that I, that I listened to were very, they weren't depressing per se. They were no. extremely honest, introspective, yeah. reflective. They, he, I, he came yeah. off to me, and I said this before you came on, despite everything that transpired with the addiction and some of the stuff that he went through in his life, he was molested as a child. Like He went through some shit, and the whole, he even talked about the, the night, the fight, the, that bar fight that, that almost ended his life that was traumatic, and he dealt with depression following that. Um, he came off to me as a, as a genuinely happy person. That that's the energy that I got in listening to him uh, in those interviews and listening to how people would describe his 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 mood, body language, and being around him. Like he seemed like somebody that was that was uplifting, that brought great energy. He did a lot of community work, um, did a ton of stuff in Brooklyn. Um, so. You know, it's just one of those things, like, man, you just wonder, you know, what his next five to ten years could have looked like, how much more of an impact he could have had if he could have got behind the camera and did, you know, producing and directing, uh, things of that nature. And, you know, this is sad, you know, obviously the tragic part about it as well, to go that early. But I I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't get the energy of this guy was an unhappy person. Like, sometimes somebody dies or a celebrity, some. They, you know, they talk about depression and people come out and say, well, this, you know, they just wasn't, they just were not happy or, you know, that, you know, I did not get that type of energy from him. Again, we didn't know him. We, I never met him, of course, but even with the interviews, that energy never came across. Like this dude, he, again, he came off as authentic as a person can be, very introspective, like very just thoughtful and vulnerable and, and, and just, had a sense of had a he had an excellent sense of self for someone who had the the type of kind of struggles and, and with the addictions and things of that nature. He had a bit, it wasn't like you look at this. It wasn't like you listen to him and say this this dude lacks some self awareness. I see why he's having these type of problems. That was not the case at all. It really wasn't. And it, you know, you know, it's just one of those things where you that's just, what uh, makes it. That's what makes these types of things so insidious is that you won't, like, you won't be able to tell. No. Right? Like, as a, as a, per, a lay person out there, unless you're in, like, such a deep inner circle. And for the most part, it's hidden from the inner circle, too, as well. Um, you know, um, where, where, it's something that's going on on the inside. No one can tell that. No, no one can tell that. And all. and especially in the case of when you're somebody whose whole entire job is to take on a different persona, right? Then it can get really, really tricky. Yeah, it can get really tricky. And so, um, 
you know, that again, that that's why that's why this is so tragic. It's, it's just that's the word. It's just tragic. There 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 probably was no way for anybody to know. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, he you know, the thing about this, it, we see um I thought this morning, I was thinking when I was thinking about, you know, prepping this, I thought about um different entertainers that that kind of that that kind of went in this direction either committed suicide through addiction or other means i thought about um who's the, the, the the legendary jazz singer in the 80s and 90s phyllis hyman phyllis hyman great singer i mean great singer i mean somebody my parents listen to somebody that you know my, my, my mom probably put me on to her but Obviously, legendary singer. I kind of go listen to "Meet Me on the Moon" and, and, and some of her stuff from the early, you know, late '80s and mid '90s. She kills herself, but if you look at the last part of her career, her um, her bookings were going down. The game was changing. You know, you had the Jan Jacksons, Mariah Carey. You had those. There was a new era that kind of ushered her out. To be honest with you, which happens in music. We we seem to have a see it. Through generations, you happen all the time where you have a a new style or era of music that will usher the you know past acts. Just it'll just happen. It's just the way it is. It happens sometimes. Um, and she kills herself, commits suicide. Her bookings that went down, wasn't getting shows like that. With Michael K. Williams, it's the polar opposite. His popularity has never been higher. Like he is getting movies and roles left and right. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't a situation where uh, that's how, yeah, and that, that just lets you know how powerful, you know, the addiction can be and just, you know, and the demons that goes on. That, addiction, that depression, all that stuff. All it that, just yes. all goes hand in hand. In hand. All, all the different things, whatever word you want to put in right. there. Because yeah. it is the, it's the quiet moments that yes. are the worst. Yes. That's what it is. The moments when you're by yourself. Yep. That is the worst. And that that's what nobody sees. No. Absolutely not. No. And so that that's that's the time when you're actually the most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and that's again what makes it so insidious. It's not it's the, it's those times. It's those times. And those are the moments that we all have, that we all can relate to. Um and those are the moments that that are they just are the worst <laughs> they're, just, they're, they're the worst and um you know there's no, there's nothing really to say and add on to that um you know other than um i think especially the times you live in right now more people are talking and thinking about all the different aspects of a human being particularly the vulnerable moments in in all of our lives because we've all been forced to have more time to think about things and you know our our own thoughts again getting back to like the things that make us great can also be our own worst enemy right and so we all have those fears those self-doubts the things and then we all have ways in which to deal with them. Some people have healthier ways of dealing with things. Some are less healthy. And depending upon your 
past. However, again, you want to define that depending upon your past, which again, very few people know everybody's story. Very few people know each individual person in their lives, individual stories, right? right? Like, like the real stuff that formed you as a person, not the person that shows up at work. As we all know, that's not, uh, that's not us, who we are. As a whole, uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, right. No, 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 no. Um, and so that stuff is the, the things in which uh, we need to do, like a lot of us, you know, I always speak for myself, um, the things that, that, that human beings, need to deal with, but can also Yeah, hello? Hello? What makes it challenging. Another person I think about often is um, Anthony Bourdain. Right. Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Yeah, I think about Anthony Bourdain a lot, right? Like, and I think, I can't remember the comedian who, who talked about it, but it's like, you know life is hard. That when when his job was to go around the world, eat, right. drink, and talk to people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it still was a struggle, right? And that's how you know it's just like, it's not about what you do, how much wealth you accumulate, everything like that. All those things are nice, and all those things can make life easier, but none of that deals with the person on the inside. No. And yeah, again, I, that is the most challenging things that us as humans, me speaking personally for myself, can get have to do. No, no question about it. I was having this conversation um, about two weeks ago with a couple of uh, a couple of friends. Um, you know, getting ready for the school year, and you know, we're you know trying to. You know, what is this year going to look like? Just trying to cope with all just of trying it. Cope. Yeah, yeah, just trying to cope. cope. What, what, yeah. is gonna, what is this going to look like, you know, in person yeah. and all just that. Trying to cope. And I, and we got on the, we got on the, the subject of trauma and like, you know, the, the pandemic has been, you know, it's just been taking lives and, um, and it's, it's been, been traumatic. It's been very it traumatic. It is, a, it is a worldwide trauma. trauma. But I would, if, if there's anything that, that that you can dig a positive that has come out of it, I would say it is. It has forced people to deal with themselves in a real way, and no longer like you had to sit your ass at home and be like, you know, wh- who who am I? Where am I going? Like, what, what am I doing, per se? Those the and, existential questions that we all ask. Yeah. And, and it's like, you and know. We all I, have to deal with it. It does not matter. It really honestly doesn't matter who you are, what station in life you are. And it's like. We yeah, all we, have to reckon with that. We, yeah, we all, like, it. you know, we, again, when we was having this conversation about trauma, like, there's, we. There's, there's so much trauma, especially as a black man, um, that has yeah. that, that has not been unpacked. You know what I'm saying? That has not been unpacked. That needs to be unpacked. 
I mean, I'm not trying to speak for yeah. all black men in the world, but I'm just saying in general. Um, I, I think, and you see, I mean, you're seeing this all across the board. You're seeing it with the, uh, the young lady uh, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. You know, who yeah. you know, on her best day is the best in the world. But it's like has all the money, all the talent. But you know what? Mentally, not there right now. It's just not. The, it, yeah. it's just not there right now. So. You know, I, I would just encourage anybody, myself, anybody, like, you know, you got take this, take care, take care of your mental, like, really, take care of your mental, take care of your, you know, do what you have to do <laughs> to, to put yourself in the best position uh, mentally. Like, you know, job is great job, is, is fine, you know, all that, you know, like I said, money, cool, all these materialistic stuff fine whatever whatever but none of it matters without without your mental without your mental health like, like it's really in a real way and dealing dealing with that trauma dealing with your mental health i don't care what you have to do but that that cannot like you just can't you can't move forward you can't move you can't it's paralyzing you cannot do you can't move without it per se or without handling that or 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 treating that per se you know so i i if anything, word, paralyzing. if anything is coming out again, it's coming out of this pandemic and the state that we're in right now, you know, you know, again, just dealing with trauma and acknowledging, acknowledging the trauma. I mean, to acknowledge it, I guess the first step would be to acknowledge it um, before you, of course, before you deal, before you deal with it. So, you know, on that note, again, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. Um, yes, sir. Just you know, and I, I certainly when I get a chance to, I think I now I go back into you know probably the wire and some of this some you know some of the work you know that Boardwalk Empire just to eat, just to relive some of those just you know iconic performances that uh that he uh left us with Robert Sapp. Thank you for joining us joining me. All right, thank you very much, sir. All right, sad 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 yeah. news, but always a pleasure to talk yeah. to you. Yep, no question about it. I will see you next time. All right. All right. That, of course, was Robert Sapp. Um, again, rest in peace to Michael K. Williams. Um, we That is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Real Hill Podcast. And you can always catch me at um, on my YouTube channel. Um, I will be, I'll put this podcast up tonight. Um, certainly this podcast, I'll put this podcast up tonight and, uh, you'll be able to, um, to see it, uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Have a great rest of your week. I'm out.